Well, good morning. Welcome again to the Bethany Associate Reform Presbyterian Church as we come together uh, to worship the Lord our God on this blessed Sabbath morning. A couple announcements to make as we begin. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, there's going to be an interest meeting uh, right after uh, morning worship today uh, for the choir. Uh, and uh, y'all are uh, asked to meet down in the fellowship hall. Uh, just as a reminder, that's open to anybody 14 and above. Uh, so if you have interest in that, again, just meet with Miss Kelly down in the fellowship hall uh, after service uh, today. Also, as a reminder, uh, the uh, Christian Ed meet, uh, Committee will be meeting Tuesday at uh, 7 o'clock. And again, if you have any questions about that, just see Mr. Jimmy. Also, uh, as a reminder, we'll be having an evening service tonight at 530. Uh, we're going to begin uh, a new lesson on the Lord's Supper. So we invite everybody back out for that as we continue to learn about the sacraments of the church. And of course, on Wednesday night at 630, uh, we uh, will uh, be gathering together again for youth group and for Bible study and prayer meeting. So again, we invite everybody for that as well. Also, uh, down front here, there are two sign-up sheets. One uh, for the senior citizens list. Uh, if you need to update your information or if you need to be added uh, to that list, uh, just take a look at it down here. Also, uh, there's a sign-up sheet uh, for the ice skating uh, trip on the 26th. And so if you're interested in that, uh, either talk to me or uh, put your name down on the list. Uh, we look forward to that as well. And also, just as a reminder, uh, the WOC meeting has been moved to the 28th of January at 4 o'clock. So again, just kind of update uh, on that. And as we uh, come together this morning uh, to worship the Lord, let us go ahead and do so uh, through a moment of silent prayer. Amen. Again, as the Lord calls us into his house on the day that he is made and declared holy, uh, he gives us opportunity to remind us of why we are here uh, as we go to the word of the living God from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Again, the call to worship is given to us by God as, as he is our God, that we might raise our voices to him and be blessed by his words. Let's go again to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning there at verse 19. Hear the word of God. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Amen. Again, as we gather together to worship, we do so in the assurance of faith, in the 
promise that God has made to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so let us respond to this great and marvelous work as we sing together our opening uh, Bible song, uh, number 299. Let us stand as we sing together out of our green uh, Bible song books, number 299, this portion of Psalm 143. Let us stand together. the Lord gives us this time and this day that we might come together with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Let us come now before this selfsame God as He opens us up in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, You are the God of Israel. You are the God of Your covenant people. From the very days of Adam's sin in the garden, even unto the present, You have made a promise that out of the woman would come the seed who would stomp on the head of the serpent, who would put to death death, and who would grant unto us eyes to see the glory of Your name. And as we gather together on this first day of the week, we do so because this is the day where Christ was raised from the dead. The day in which the resurrection, which was the first fruits of the blessing, the forgiveness of sins and of the eternal promise that Christ is King in the heavens. And as we call out this morning, as we use the very name that has been given from above, our Savior Jesus Christ, we do so in hope and in peace and in comfort, gaining strength from the renewing of the covenant promise. And so dear God, we pray through the power of Your Holy Spirit that as you fill this house with your presence today, that you will comfort our hearts, that you will give strength to the weak, that you will give peace to the conflicted, and that, dear God, that you might, in every one of the souls present here this morning, confirm for us 
the assurance of faith, and the hope that we have alone in Your Word and in Your truth. And to God, as we come now to say the words Your Son taught His disciples to pray, uh, we pray together saying, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, and Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, as we say the words of the Lord's Prayer, we do so because Christ has given unto us uh, the assurance of His promise and as we continue to read in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, our Lord Jesus reminds us once more of why it is He has come and why it is that He has come to die for sinners. And so I invite you to turn there in your copies of God's Word to John 13, beginning there at verse 18, as we come to the Word of our God. Again, beginning there at verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. No one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately. And it was night. Amen. Thanks to God for the reading of his holy and his perfect word. Please be seated. Well, I invite children to come down for a lesson this morning. Well, how's everybody doing today? Y'all doing good? Y'all, you know, it's 
been an interesting couple of weeks, you know, around these parts. You know, I think we've gotten our fill of water for the year. I think we're, uh, we're, we're we've got all we need. But of course, uh, I've come to hear that we may get some white stuff uh, tomorrow evening. Now, um, do y'all like the snow? I don't think we're getting a lot of it, so don't get too too excited. But you know, it's a, it's a unique thing, right? You know, what is it about snow that we we, we get happy about. That's why it's fun to play in, right? You know, and you know, what else do we like about snow? Is there, is there any, anything else that's good about it other than it's fun to play in? You know, it, snowball, fights. <laughs> snowball fights, right? That's, that's fun, right? Yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff you can do in the snow, but, you know, unfortunately where we live, you know, how long does the snow usually stay around? Yeah, yeah, day, you know, two days if, if we're especially blessed, right? It's, it's not something that has much permanence to it, right? It's, it's here one day and gone the next, you know? And as we think about, right, the, the fact that snow is so transient around here, you know, I, I grew up in a place where often it would snow and it would be there for two months. Now, you know, would you like it to be around that long? No, right? Because one of the things about snow that stays around that long is it, it doesn't stay white for very long, right? It, you know, it, it gets all kinds of, you know, gross and full of all kinds of weird things and, and you really wish it would, it would go away. But right, then a fresh snow would come and, and what would be on top of all of that kind of grimy snow? That's right, pretty new snow, right? And you would soon forget about everything that was underneath, you know. And, and as we think about that, right, you know, the nature of how things kind of come and they go and also how they come and sometimes stay and, 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 and we never really know when it's going to come, right, because the, the weatherman, you know, is he real good at predicting that kind of stuff? No, not really, right? You know, he, only baseball players and weathermen can, can go to the Hall of Fame by only getting things right about 30% of the time, right? And, you know, all of us wish we could have that batting average at work. But, you know, as you think about that, right, you know, everything in the world changes. Everything's different. Everything is up, down, left, and right. But what's the one thing that we know never changes? That's right. God never changes, right? You know, it doesn't matter whether it's three feet of snow on the ground or it doesn't snow for three years, Right? It doesn't matter whether it's hot or cold. It doesn't matter whether it's windy or rainy. It doesn't matter whether it's earthquakes or tornadoes or, or whatever. Right? All the stuff that happens in the world comes and it goes. But we know that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? And so as we experience all the changes in the world, right, should we put our faith in the snow? Right? Should we put our faith in weathermen? <laughs> no, right? Who, who should we put our faith in? That's right, God, the one who never changes, right? Because as you grow up, I mean, that's one of the things you're going to experience is, you know, 2024 is going to be totally different from 2030 and 2040 and 2050. But the good news, again, is God going to change at any point in time as you grow up? No, right? He's going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. So rest and trust in Him, right? Pray unto Him. Look unto Him each and every day because the answer is always going to be the same. God is here. He will always be here. And He will always bless you. All right, y'all ready to pray? Let's pray. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again for the day in which you have provided for us this Lord's Day, this day which never changes, this first day of the week where we are privileged to come into your presence, to be fed, to be renewed and strengthened in your promise. And dear God, we pray as we go about daily life, as things change from day to day, as we may not know uh, what uh, the next moment will bring, we know that you are our God and that you are forever in our blessing. And in Christ's name we pray. You know, one of the beauties, of course, of, uh, of coming to church every week is that we hear the same promise every week. And we need to hear that promise because as the hymn uh, that we are getting ready to sing testifies, that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let us stand as we sing together and testify of this blessed gift. In 522 in the Red Trinity Hymn. Amen. Again, as the Lord blesses us with the certainty of his truth, let us now be seated as we come before the Lord our God in prayer.
Let us pray. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who heard the cries of the widow in the wilderness, who provided food by the raven, who heard the pleas of his people as they remained in the land of exile in Babylon, who sent young Esther for a day such as this. And the God who has worked from generation to generation in those unknown to us, but known to the living God, to work the miraculous, to work the powerful, uh, to work the amazing. Heavenly Father, we come together this morning because you are the God over all things. There have been many men throughout the histories who have claimed to speak for you. Who have claimed to receive a new revelation from above. Who have even themselves claimed to be the Holy One. But to God, we rest and trust in the God who is alone, the God of the universe. The God who has revealed Himself in Holy Scripture. Who has shown His power in the mountains and in the oceans. In the smallest of cellular organisms. In the day-by-day providences of the wind and the rain. To God, everywhere we look, we see Your majesty. Dear God, we are humbled. And dear Heavenly Father, as we come together this morning and as we uh, return thanksgiving for the grace bestowed on sinners, for the grace that we have not earned by any works of the flesh, the grace that has been freely given to us by Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer, who has looked upon us and seen us at our worst. He has seen our ungodliness. He has seen the darkness of our souls. He has known every sin that we have ever committed. For there is nothing that is unknown to Him. And yet... The scriptures testify that Christ has died for the ungodly. That Christ has shed his blood for sinners, of which every man is one. And dear Heavenly Father, as we come together this morning, we do so as those who are sinners, who have fallen short of your glory, who have sought to worship uh, in idolatry, who have made images in our own vision, have misused your name, have broken the Sabbath, have murdered, committed adultery, stolen, 
borne false witness, and coveted that which is not ours. To God, as our hearts are, are sunk by the reminder of these transgressions, as the conviction of the Holy Spirit bears upon us, to God, we rejoice in these works. To God, you have testified to us in the scriptures that, that as we confess our sins before you, that Christ Jesus intercedes on our behalf. That Christ Jesus' blood and righteousness, which is our hope, upon which nothing less is our plea, is applied unto our souls. The balm of your comfort is in your work and in the blessed gift of the Holy Spirit who not only shows us our sin, but points us to Christ, to the finished work of the cross, to the Lamb slain, that we might be named among the people of God and that we might bear uh, that promise upon our souls. And dear God, we come to you this morning because we know that, that we should respond in obedience to your word. That we should respond in thanksgiving for this magnificent work of grace. But dear God, we are sinners. God, we pray in the earnestness of the Holy Spirit that you would not only convict us of our sin, but that you would turn our eyes away from the pleasures of the flesh. We might see the wisdom and the, the, the peace offered in the Word, even in your commandments, which are holy and just and good. God, as we think of the sins that we have committed, not just as individuals, but as the Bethany ARP Church, dear God, we do come together as a church confessing our sins. May you open our eyes where it is that we can love our neighbor better. Where it is that we can serve one another in a more righteous way. And where we can, as a congregation, grow in knowledge and understanding, in prayer and in blessing. And we plead these things to God because we know that there is much work to do. For there is always a place of sanctification in the life of the believer. And dear God, may you encourage us to become more and more like our Savior. May we witness to the, the goodness of your mercy as we walk upon the ways, as we uh, awaken in the morning and as we lay our heads in the pillows at night. Dear God, may you open our eyes to see God, we also ask your mercies to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling this morning. God, those who barely made it here, we pray, dear God, that you would encourage their hearts. We pray, dear God, that you would lift the burden. We pray, dear God, that you in every way would show your face this morning and in this place. 
that your power may be evident. That we might leave from this house of worship not just with, with an emotional move, but with a move in the depth of our spirit. As we rest and trust more and more in your name each and every day. God, as we think of the particular prayer needs of, of the Bethany Church, to God, we especially think of our young ones. God, we especially lift up unto you, our, our, you know, Mr. Crawford. God, we give thanks again for the healing that you've already brought, and we pray for your continued blessing upon him. We pray again also for Miss Nancy, and we pray for healing for her as well. Now we think of those who are at home with illness this morning, those who are struggling with physical difficulty. We pray, dear God, that your healing hand would be upon their hearts and upon their bodies. We pray especially for those who are uh, you know, still looking for answers, for pain and for uh, you know, disability and other things of that nature. We pray that you would bring peace, especially wisdom and, and, and comfort from the doctors and nurses, dear God. Dear Heavenly Father, we continue to ask your blessings and your, your, your work to be uh, with our brothers and sisters gathered throughout the world this morning. We are reminded that when we come before your throne on the Lord's day, we are not doing so as, as little hodgepodge pockets, but as a united body of Christ to testify to the whole world that our plea is Jesus. And our comfort is your grace and your promise. May that be our strength both this day and forevermore. And as we go from this house this morning and as we return this evening and as, and as we uh, enter into private times of devotion during the week, God, we come with you with open hearts to receive your truth that we might be found not only in your presence, but dear God, that we might be found in that beautiful union that we have with Jesus Christ. May you open our eyes that we may see. May you open our hearts that we might rest, both this day and forevermore, in the name of our Redeemer, the one who sustains us moment by moment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the scripture I'd like to call your attention to this morning comes to us from the 8th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. So I invite you to stand as you find your way to that uh, portion of Holy Scripture, which can be found between Proverbs and Song of Solomon. And as we turn there, we are going to be looking at verse 10 this morning through verse 17, uh, the end of the chapter. And so as we come uh, to this portion of God's Word today, let us uh, hear God's Word from Ecclesiastes 8, verse 10. Then 
I saw all the wicked burial, or buried, who had come and gone from the place of holiness. And they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged. Yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will He prolong His days, which are as a shadow, because He does not fear before God. There is a vanity which occurs on earth, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. So I commended enjoyment. Because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life which God gives him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God uh, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again for your word that you provided on this blessed Lord's Day. We pray in your providential grace that you will open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth both this day and forevermore, in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. This will come as no surprise, uh, but verse 10 follows verse 9. Now, I say that because... Sometimes when we kind of pop in uh, to a portion of Scripture, we forget uh, that uh, when Solomon wrote down this book, uh, he didn't divide it up for us. Right? That's something that we've done uh, coming past. And of course, uh, when you come to preach God's Word, you can't preach all of it every Sunday. So you have to take you know, little sections at a time. And so sometimes we kind of leave off in the middle of the story. In the middle of the point that Solomon is making or any other writer of scripture. And so when you start in the middle of a story, you sometimes have to start again. Now, rest assured, that doesn't mean I'm going to preach all nine verses again. But we need to know the context. What is, what, what is verse 10 saying that verses, verses 1 through 9 have already said to us? Well, remember... Solomon at this point in time, as he confesses his sins before God, is particularly confessing his failure as king, as the king of Israel. And especially his failure to keep the commandments which God had made. And he had talked to us last week about the fact uh, that judgment is a fickle thing, especially with the wise. You know, we kind of joked a little bit with the kids about weathermen and, you know, that, uh, you know, they're always kind of, 
you know, wishy-washy uh, with their predictions, but of course it takes a lot of training uh, to be a weatherman, and I don't mean to you know, overly uh, put down weathermen. They have a difficult job. I can only imagine trying to discern the totality of the weather patterns of Earth every day. And if we're honest, right, they get it right more often than they do not. We just have kind of this effect about us uh, that we kind of like to major uh, when they uh, get it wrong. But honestly, right, you know, the temperature is what it's going to be. You know, it rains when it's supposed to rain. It, it, you know, the, the wind blows when uh, the wind blows and, and various things take place, right? However, the king, in this case, Solomon, claimed for himself to be the wisest man of all. But he shows us that he was the unwisest of them all because in his work as a king, he had failed. He had failed pretty dramatically to the point that his own household was a household of wickedness and evil. He had failed at the most basic responsibility that he had as a father to raise his children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And as he's expressing this failure, he testifies again there uh, back in verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Because for every matter there is a time and judgment that the misery of man increases greatly. For he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? No one has power of the Spirit to retain the Spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. And so this, this, this conversation about death and, and the fact that no one has power in the day of death explains why in verse 10 we see Solomon talk about burial. Verse 10, it says, Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. His, his statement here is uh, very clearly pointed towards those who were priests in the land of Israel. And whenever we see this statement about the place of holiness, and it's not talking about just kind of generic places that are holy, but the place which is the holiest of all. And for an old covenant Jew, there is no more holy place than the temple. The temple was the place of the sacrifice. The, the temple was the place where God himself dwelt. One of the great scenes, of course, of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the ripping of the veil in the temple. The, the, the great curtain that separated uh, the, the outer part of the temple from the inward holy of holies. And there's a, there's a whole reason for why that took place in the new covenant, right? To, to represent the fact that, 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 that the, in the new covenant, right, that, that God does not dwell in a house made with hands, uh, but dwells in the house that he has made, which is, of course, the totality of the universe. And that both Jews and Gentiles are granted access to this holy of holies. To the priesthood of all believers. 
But Solomon again, pointing towards this place of holiness, he says in verse 10, Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. Now, you know, one of the great concerns, of course, of Hebrews in this day and time was the family name. That the family name would continue from one generation to another. There was power in a name. You look and you read in the Old Testament and you read in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. And what do we hear over and over? The son of. The son of. Of the tribe of. Of the house of. And this was identifying, again, the relationship that these people had from one generation to another. And so the worst crime that you could commit in the Old Covenant was separation of the generations, of the ending of the line of the holy. And what's being testified to us here by Solomon is that the same is getting ready to happen in his own household. Yes, Rehoboam is going to have children. Yes, there's going to be kings who come after Rehoboam. But what do we know of the kings that follow after Solomon? The kings of Judah, the kings of Israel are wicked. And outside of a, a few holy men who come, we see the descent of Israel. We see the descent of Judah. We see them go from the height of the kingdom as it was under Solomon to the point that when Antiochus Epiphanes comes and lays waste to the nations, there is no really, there really is no kingdom in Israel anymore. And Solomon here is testifying that this has happened because of him. And it's his fault that these things have taken place. And, and why have they taken place? You know, the testimony he gives to us is that in verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. You see, the, the situation has gotten to the point it's gotten in Israel because there was no fear of God in the eyes of Solomon. Now, obviously, the book of Ecclesiastes is a testimony that Solomon became fearful of the living God. And his eyes were open to see his own sin. His eyes were open to see his own transgressions. His eyes were open to see how far he had fallen from the blessing that had been bestowed upon him when he was anointed as king. And this, this entire section is a lamentation but it's also a warning. And it's also a comforting reminder. We don't often use the term judgment, hellfire, and damnation with the word comfort. But there is great comfort in what Solomon has to show us today about the work of God. And about the ways of God and of the means of God. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God. 
that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. You see, it wasn't until Solomon recognized that he was not the king of the world... It wasn't until Solomon recognized that he was not in charge, that he was the discerner of right and wrong, the, the, the one who exclaimed judgment over a moral matters and the like, that he was able to see not just his own sin, but to see the grace and mercy of God. And again, the, the, the lesson here is, is not rocket science. And it's the same lesson we see on nearly every page of Scripture. It's not until men and women are willing to recognize that they have no hope in themselves, they have no power in themselves, that they have no wisdom in themselves, or as Jesus says it, until they're willing to deny themselves and pick up their cross, that men and women truly understand what it means. To be a son or daughter of the living God. What it means to be saved. What it means to be the receivers of the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, as he is talking in verse 14 and 15 about this journey that he had been on most of his life. He, he had searched for wisdom. He would searched for understanding. He, he had looked at all the things that he could find. And what was his commendation in verse 15? He, he, was, he, 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 he looked and he looked and he couldn't find it. So he said, well, nothing matters. What, what, what matters in verse 15? So I commanded enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. And of course, Solomon here is, is quoting for us a, a well-known proverb from you know, you know, Greek philosophy. Carpe diem. Right? Live today because what's going to happen tomorrow? You're going to die. Now, as the world understands that, why do you need to live today? Because you're going to die tomorrow. And what comes after death? Well, for most people, they don't believe anything comes after death. So you better get yours now because that's all you're going to get. So eat, drink, be merry, pleasure the flesh, do everything you can, have fun, enjoy life. Because that's all you get. Solomon here is telling us in, in, in kind of a sly way that there's truth to this. Because the scriptures testify that we are to enjoy life. Right? We are to eat and to drink and to be merry. You know, the, the scriptures know nothing about uh, dour-faced Christians. Christians who are, are always uh, kind of you know, have that look about them. That, that resting angry face. Because... Of all men, who has more right to be joyful than believers of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's part of the message, of course, that Solomon is driving us to here. That the world thinks it has joy, it thinks it has happiness, it thinks it has merriment in the pleasures of the flesh, uh, but what does it really have? It has death, it has destruction, it has division. It is pain. It is anguish. 
It is all of the destructive things that you can name. You know, it, it's no accident that the vast majority of illnesses today that people die from are, are from the overuse of the pleasures of the flesh. You know, we don't really like to talk about some of the sins that we enjoy in this life. We, we talk much about drunkenness, right? We talk much about uh, the wickedness of drinking too much. But what about the wickedness and the evil of eating too much? And what about the, the wickedness of wasting all the food that we have? And not just in the, in the taking in of more than we need, but uh, knowing the effects of the eating and drinking that we do, and yet we do it every, anyway, and then we get mad, right, when our doctors tell us to moderate the intake of McDonald's or whatever you want to name. Right, that's as much a sin as, as drinking too much Bud Light or whatever. Because again, the, the nature of what Solomon is driving home here is that if our hope and our peace and our comfort comes from the, the enjoyment of the things of the flesh, it doesn't matter really what kind of thing we're putting in our mouth, whether it's liquid or whether it's meat. They're both destructive in their own way. We are to be moderate in all things. Now, are we to enjoy a good meal? Absolutely. Is it okay for us to have fun? Absolutely. But Solomon here is driving home again this point that, that the mistake that we often make is that we, in the seeking of the pleasures of the flesh, hope to have our reward in them. And the reality is, is that we see that there is no reward in these things. There's no happiness in overindulgence. Because what does Solomon tell us at the beginning of the passage? Again, then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil, right? One of the, the things about doing evil that we see Solomon note here is that if we're not immediately struck down by lightning from heaven... We have a tendency to think that, well, God must not care about this. And if we're not immediately, you know, struck with, you know, some, you know, negative output by our immoderate eating and drinking, then, well, it must be okay. But again, we can go to any sin you want to name from the Ten Commandments on that front. And Solomon is telling us here that just because God hasn't struck you dead today does not mean you are going to escape the judgment. Now, Solomon, as he, as he is a king, is obviously thinking of other kings around him. He's thinking of the leaders of the nations who are seemingly outwardly blessed and have no fear of God in their eyes. One of the events that's going to happen later on in the history of the people of God is, of course, the exile to Babylon. And one of the best examples of this, of course, is uh, when Daniel is with Belshazzar. And remember, Daniel has been witnessing to Belshazzar that the, the, the Persians are on the way. 
And what has Belshazzar said repeatedly to Daniel? We'll take care of it when it gets here. And so no readiness is made, no, no opportunity is made to provide for the defense of the city of Babylon. And, and then the Persians are at the gates. And what does Belshazzar decide to do? He decides to eat, drink, and be merry. And then in the midst of this grand uh, party, this, this grand almost orgy-like event, what do we see happen? The, the famous writing on the wall. The, the, the writing that appears on, uh, behind uh, the king on that day. And, and, and how does Belshazzar react to these things? Well, as is often the case. God didn't destroy me yesterday, so why would he destroy me today? Right? That is the, the response that many of us have towards sin. Right? We, 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 we are so moved by the complacency and by our lack of fear of the living God that we are no better than Belshazzar. Right? The prophet and the word of God reveals to us that judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is at the door. And we have so inoculated ourselves against these things that we do not believe it until it's too late. And even when it is too late, even when judgment comes down upon sinners, what is the response that sinners often get to receiving the reward of their own evil? Do they then turn and say, well, you know, God, you are right. I shouldn't have done X, Y, or Z. Now, often the case we see in the scriptures, we see in real life, is who's the first one that gets blamed for judgment? Is it not the Lord Himself? Are we not quick to blame God when we receive the just reward of our own sin? You know, either we, 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 we tell God that, well, just give me some more time and I'll repent. Or just, just give me some more time and I'll, I'll turn things around. Many of us have, have dealt with people who respond likewise when life comes down upon them. Right, they immediately first blame someone else. Right, they blame God. They blame their parents. They blame society. They, they, they blame uh, the drug. They blame the drink. They blame everything else. But what has to happen before life actually changes? Right, they have to blame themselves. Right, they have to recognize their own responsibility for their evil, for their wickedness, for their sinfulness. And one of the, the troubles that we have in our day today is that we have done a good job of, of, of uh, assigning blame to the brain, to chemistry, to everything under the sun, except for the person responsible. And so you're able to, to kind of get out of the effects of your own sin by you know, using some type of you know, psychological reasoning. Well, it's not my fault. I was, I was born this way. Or I, I just had a gene that, 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 that made me more likely to do X, Y, or Z. It's, a, it's an easy scapegoat, again, for the one who is actually responsible. According to what Solomon tells us here, who's responsible for the state of things in Israel? It's not the Philistines. 
It's not the wives who he's brought into the house. It's not the, the, the effect of privilege. It's nothing. Who's responsible for the situation in Israel? Psalm tells us in this passage that he alone is responsible for the evil that has been brought in. He alone is responsible for the death and destruction of the nation of Israel. This is, again, part of the wisdom of what we see what Solomon tells us this morning. Right? What is the, the, the kind of trigger? What is the thing that changes? That allows us to be honest with our own heart, with our own understanding, with our own wisdom, our own everything. It's when we recognize again that we have no hope in ourselves. It's a, the very basic testimony of what we see Jesus say in Luke 9, 62. You are not fit to come into the kingdom of God unless you're willing to put your hands on the plow and look forward. Because when you turn back with your hands on the plow, what do you do? You mess up. You destroy all the work that has been done. You know, the, the witness that we see in the Old Testament to this reality is, is witness to us in Lot and Lot's wife. Here God has brought destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah. He is raining fire and brimstone down upon the city. And what, what, what does the Lord tell Lot and his family to do? Very simple. Don't look back. And as they're walking and as they're going, what do we know happens? We know that Lot's wife turns back. And what are we told happens to Lot's wife? Well, she turns to a pillar of salt. And she is dead. You don't take a pillar of salt and renew it into something else. There's a permanent judgment that comes down upon Lot's wife in that moment. And as we see that, we hear that again, we, we again are very good at saying, boy, Lot's wife was dumb. What was she doing? Didn't she know to listen to the Lord? And again, brothers and sisters, how many of us can testify to being Lot's wife? To seeing the destruction born upon sinners and seeing the destruction born upon Israel, seeing the destruction born upon the enemies of God and, 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 and confuse our hearts and, and tell ourselves, well, that's not going to happen to me. I, that, that's only for the bad people. I'm a good person. I, I, I'm, I do mostly good. You know, I'm good on most days and most hours and most minutes, I guess. Solomon's telling us, look, I've already done all this work, fellas. I've searched every nook and cranny of this world. I've searched every wisdom under heaven. I've done all the work for you. And I'm here to tell you a simple message. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to see it anywhere else. You're not going to 
find hope and peace and comfort in anything but one single place. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. A recognition that yes, you deserve judgment. And no, you don't deserve judgment in the future. You deserve judgment right now. You deserve the condemnation of the Lord because you're a sinner. And you have fallen short of the glory of God. But again, Solomon doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us in condemnation. He doesn't leave us in judgment. But the good news of the fact that we don't know the future, we don't know these things, is the fact that somebody does. That's part of denying ourselves and, and picking up our cross. right? That's part of denying ourselves and looking alone to the Lord. Because as I shared with the children, every day is different. Circumstances change. Leaders change, weather changes, styles change, years change, months change, days change. But what stays the same? Is it not the constancy of the Lord that allows us to go on? Is it not the certainty of the promise of the covenant that God has made with us that allows us to awaken in the morning? But it, it is the, the, the assurance of faith born out of the gift of our Heavenly Father that allows us to see these things, to confess our sins, and to be found in glory on the day of judgment. Right, the wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in death. And again, when we think about that death, again, Solomon here is not just speaking about the physical death that all of us will go unless the Lord returns in his time. His main focus really is upon that spiritual death which is necessary for all of us. That spiritual death that is necessary for one to be raised from the dead. That death that, that Paul writes about in, in Romans chapter 6, right? We are buried in Christ and raised with Christ at the resurrection. Right? The, 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 the spiritual death that, that, that we must be born again. You know, that, that language in John 3.16 is so central to our understanding of the nature of things uh, that we cannot understand anything in the Bible until we understand that one basic that none of us have any hope outside the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That His being raised from the dead is the very center of our being. Because it's only in the resurrection that we ourselves have been born again. But it's only in the resurrection that any of us have hope to see the heavenly places. Yeah, as the Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy about you know, some of the things he needs to be watchful for in his ministry, he says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
You know, that, that testimony there in 1 Timothy 6, uh, 6 through 10, you know, we have a tendency again, because we, we'd love to do this, to restrict it just to rich people. Here we go again talking about the wealthy. And of course, since none of us are wealthy, we, we love to point at the wealthy and say, here you go, the love of money is the root of all evil. But of course, Paul's not really talking about the wealthy. I mean, they're obviously in view, but that's not the point. And go back to the beginning of verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. My brothers and sisters, again, that's really the ground of what Solomon is talking about in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It wasn't until Solomon recognized that he had not been born king, but had been made king by the living God, that he was able to rule as king well in godliness. And it's not until we understand that we have brought nothing into this equation outside of our own sin that we rightly can have contentment and godliness. Right? It's the denying of ourselves that allows us to live in Christ. Right, it's the denying of the, the, the pleasures of the flesh that allow us to see the beauty of what it means to live in godliness. And so brothers and sisters, as we close this morning and as we think of the nature of what it is that we have heard this morning and of what, what, what uh, Solomon is describing for us, again, we have to go back to the gospel as it's presented in the Bible. Again, brothers and sisters, you are under condemnation. You have sinned before the living God. And the question is, is do we seek to have our salvation be a cooperative event where we come alongside God and He does His part and we do our part? Or do we come to God empty-handed? Do we come to Him with, without a plea, without any hope in ourselves? Do we fall at His feet? And say, God, I'm a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I have sought only my desires. I have only sought to, to heal my heart with food and drink. And coming to Him, we do so not with anything other than the word that Christ has given to us. Come unto me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the, the peace and the comfort of which Solomon found at the end of his life. Because he finally came to understand what it meant to fear the Lord. To recognize that God is just to send sinners to hell. But he has sent justice in the form of his son Jesus Christ to pay the penalty of our sin upon His own body, to pour upon us the, the shed blood of His own heart, that we might be washed by that blood, and that our eyes may see and recognize the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray.
Gracious Heavenly Father, as you again work in and through your word to apply these truths unto us, we pray, dear God, that you will again continue to remind us that our hope alone is in Christ, in his peace, in his wisdom, and in his commandments, which he has given unto us, that we might live in them, and we might rest and trust in his means, and we might see the, the, the futility of the wisdom of the world for what it is. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's now come as we close our time together with Bible song number 284. Well, again, as we close our worship this morning, again, I invite you, if you have need to speak unto me or the elders, we are here to help in any way uh, that we can. Let us go now to our benediction today, which comes uh, from the 19th chapter of the book of Job, as we read uh, verses 25 through 29. Hear the word of the Lord. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you should say, how shall we persecute him, since the root of the matter is found in me? Be afraid of the sword for yourselves, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. Amen.